Before we get started, I do want to let you all know that uh, this morning, early in the morning, our team of folks headed for Honduras uh, got on a plane, and our very own Tommy Rowe, who's back there on the computer this morning, uh, shuttled them to the airport, and he is here. I mean, that is, give it up for the young man. He, four o'clock airport time, and uh, he's back here. Uh, Gary Burkett rightly said, if the slides are falling behind a little bit, we need to show him some grace, but he's, he's on it. He's killing it today. So, um, no pun intended, we're talking about John the Baptist being beheaded. <laughs> Bad joke. Bad joke. Hey, we, uh, we're talking about this uh, idea of a limitless faith. And um, when we're in Christ, uh, kind of the perplexing side of that, the, the thing that seems counterintuitive is that if we want to have a limitless faith, we actually have to limit ourselves. And so uh, we've, we've been... Uh, looking at that as we continue our journey through the, the gospel of Mark. And today, as you heard, we're in Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. So um, as, as I read this passage this week, um, I came to this realization that I really, um, I really don't like making commitments that I can't keep. I don't like making commitments that I can't keep. And, and so I started to think about all the instances in my life where I fail to keep the commitments that I make. And one that just really stood out to me was that moment when I pull into the Costco parking lot with my wife. If you haven't been to Costco, think Kroger, think Sam's, whatever, like the grocery store. I pull in and in our heads, right, there's all of these expectations. You're making a commitment to yourself. We're going to stick within the budget. I'm only getting these things. I'm not going to get cookies and snacks and donuts to hide in the pantry for 10 o'clock at night. All of these commitments that, you know, like, they're just flowing in my head. And it's like, especially when we walk into Costco, right, it's like, listen, we got to be careful because if we aren't careful, like, we're going to walk out of here and there's like $300 worth of stuff in our cart and we're not even going to know what it is. That's just how Costco works. It's like this miraculous thing. I don't know how it is. And so we walk in and it's like, no matter how hard you try, you always walk out with more, like, you can't keep that commitment to yourself. And I hate that. I'm the penny pincher. I hate that. Um, but there's a whole lot of other commitments in my life that, that, uh, that I can't keep, and I hate that. I, I hate telling Caitlin I'm going to be home at 5 and then texting her at 5 and saying, I'm leaving. <laughs> right? Any of you guys do that? I hate telling my kids that we're going to get ice cream sometime, or when they ask if we can do something, I say, maybe. And they're like, what's maybe mean, right? Uh, and then I'm just too busy to get around to it. I hate saying to people, I messed up. I ran out of time. I'm sorry it's been so long since I've, you know, whatever. Uh, can we reschedule? I hate making commitments that I can't keep. I hate um, spiritually crawling back to Jesus after a season of pursuing the things that I want in life instead of the things that he wants. And when you crawl back saying to him with my tail between my legs, Jesus, I'm sorry. I really hate making commitments that I can't keep, but I do it every day. Um, and I often wonder because I think this is what our world begins to tell us, I often wonder if those things are going to come back to haunt me. You've heard of the law of karma, right? And I think too oftentimes um, we operate uh, with this idea that the world operates around the law of karma. And that's just not how faith works. That's not how Jesus works. We want to live limitless lives, but we hate the feeling of our own limitations, right? We want all of the things. We want to, whatever, sit, and just for the record, somebody asked me, these are not my feet. 
I would not show you my feet on the screen. That's, that's not pretty. But we want to sit on a beach like this and look out over the ocean and see no limits. We want that theoretically, but we also want that practically in our lives. We, we want to, to think that we can have whatever we want. That the options for our life are limitless. And then we get really frustrated by our own limitations. We don't have the energy, we don't have the time, we don't have the money to do the things that we want. And so what we do instead is we do things to stretch ourselves, to try and get the most out of ourselves, because the law of karma, right? The more that we can put in, the more we'll get out. We, we do things to deceive ourselves. We, we do things to deceive others concerning our limitations. We lead people to believe that we can do more than we really can. We project to deliver more than we can deliver to the project. And what we do at the end of all that, when we fail, is we just chalk it up to human nature just a human, just a person. And this passage of John the Baptist being beheaded, it shows us the same thing about King Herod. Herod had heard about what Jesus was doing. Last week we talked about how Jesus was rejected in his hometown, but instead of holding that against the people of his hometown, he continued with his mission. He, he's equipped his disciples and he sends them out. And so for the first time, this mission, which was come follow me, come follow me, come follow me, now turned and, and he said to them, now you go. So now it's come follow me and go. And he's not discouraged by that. He, he continues to go. And, and as his disciples go, they're making such an impact in Herod's kingdom that Herod has heard about it. And while they're doing this, Herod begins to be affected by a guilty conscience. And it causes him to remember something that he had done to John the Baptist. Causes him to remember this scene where he delivers his head on a platter to his wife. Here's the funny thing. Herod, in this story, makes a commitment that he could never keep. We read in the, the first uh, few verses, verse 14, it says, King Herod, but even that is a little bit misleading. As we begin to read this story in the other Gospels, uh, particularly in Matthew, I believe it is, chapter 14, it says that at that time that it was King Herod, that Herod the Tetrarch. What is a Tetrarch? We don't even have any parameters for that. Well, as we look back through history, what we learn is that Herod really wasn't the king of anything. He was set over this area of the kingdom. He was in charge. He was one of several other guys who was in charge, but it wasn't even his land to be giving away. And we read that in this party, he promises to give to Herodias' daughter anything, up to half of my kingdom. He's made a commitment that he can't keep. Herod was pretending to have power that he didn't really have. Maybe we can relate to that. So many things in our lives so many of the things that we buy for ourselves, so many of the things that we uh, set up around us, our, our homes, our careers, our jobs, clothes, so many things are things just like Herod has here with this kingdom. They're really put in place to make it look like we have more power, more authority, more influence than what we really have. We all feel the stress and guilt of not being able to keep our commitments. And we see that even Herod, as the king, even though he did have some power and influence, he felt it too. In verses 25 and 26, it says that once she hurried to the king and said, 
I want you to give me John the Baptist's head on a platter immediately. Imagine being Herod in that moment and realizing that you've promised something that you can't deliver on or that you don't want to deliver on. And all the, it says, although the king was deeply distressed because of his oaths and the guests, he did not want to refuse her. I, uh, I did a little experiment this week on social media. It's fun. I like doing that every once in a while. And I just put out there the question, um, what, what do you feel when you know you're going to be late to something? And lots of comments, lots of, you know, like, what are the expectations? And people talked about how stressful it is to just, like, drive to the event knowing that you're going to be late. Uh, people talked about the, uh, like, the utter disrespect if you're continually late. If that was you, I, I didn't mean that bad. I'm just saying. Like, some people were, like, really agitated by, the, by people being late. Uh, we're late, so I don't judge you. But it was really interesting to see that uh, I think there was one person on the whole comment chain that was like, uh, like, it actually doesn't bother me to be late. But everyone else was like, there was like an inner churning. Actually, there was two. I forgot. D Danielle Wade, she posted research as to why it was actually healthier for you. So uh, she's, she's pushing back. Um, but, uh, but anyway, it was, it was really interesting to, to just see this. Like, we all begin to feel that, that stress when we can't keep our commitments. Um, a couple weeks ago, Caitlin and I had the chance to go to Hawaii with her dental office. Um, and uh, anybody ever seen uh, the movie Home Alone? It's Caitlin's favorite movie of all time. We watch it every year. What's awesome is we almost got to live it. So we had a 6.30 flight, and we had planned to leave at 4. We also have a newborn that was going to Hawaii with us, and there's, like, there's a whole reason, all, lots of reasons. But suffice it to say that at 5 o'clock, Caitlin literally sits up in our bed and says, we slept in, which is the, like, it's the scene over and over again. And so um, it was awesome because uh, I drove way too fast and broke a lot of speed limits. Uh, and in 71 minutes, I say we went from pillow to plane. Um, and Magnolia got fed in there somehow. Like, I, like, it was amazing how it all happened. But there was a lot of stress, a lot of anxiety, um, maybe some inappropriate words and some speeding. Like, there was a lot of things that were wrong about this picture. It's really stressful when we can't keep the commitments that we have. And, and you know, we can kind of talk about some of the little things like being late to an appointment or, or different things like that. But, but then it gets really stressful when we start talking about bills that we can't pay. We feel really guilty when we're backing out of commitments because we're overbooked. We, it's terrible when we learn that we're, we're going to be evicted because we can't make a payment. It begins to eat away at us that we've promised something to our kids that we can't deliver on. Isn't that the worst? Guilt begins to eat us alive when we realize that we're struggling to follow through on the commitments that we've made to our spouse at the altar. That's when this stuff starts to get real, right? Like there's the, there's the commitments that we see in the day in, day out, and then there's like the commitments that we're making to ourselves and to others in the, the bigger picture of life. And joy is sucked out of our lives when we've said yes to, to too much, even if all those things that we've said yes to are things that we like. And I think what's hard for us to, to reconcile is, is we feel those same anxieties that Herod felt in that moment that he was asked for John the Baptist's head. We are often too naive and too proud to realize that we are Herod. I would never take someone's life. And maybe you wouldn't. I'm not saying you're a killer. But, but we have to identify that some of those same sin issues that lived in Herod's heart live in us. 
that we want to be the king of our domain even though we, it's really not our kingdom. We really want the authority to, to do whatever we want to. We want to gather people around us just as Herod did that night so that we might impress them with all that we have and all that we can do. And when we're brutally honest with ourselves, we realize, man, I'm a whole lot like this king who would go so far as to deliver the head of a man on a platter. That's scary. <laughs> scary. Too many of us want to be Herod when the real life, the real opportunity is modeled by John. And John, like Jesus, lived a limited life that inspires us to live with a limitless faith. John's life looks so much like Jesus's that those around him got the two confused, right? Herod wasn't sure if he was seeing John the Baptist or if he was seeing Jesus. Wouldn't it be awesome if that could be said of us? And so these questions emerge. Why was John willing to lose literally everything? He lost the comfort of, his, uh, like of a normal life. He was this guy, as we read in Scripture, that he went out in the desert and he, he began preaching to people that they would come to Christ. He was this guy who, who lost his followers, right? Everyone forgets that, that people had come and they were listening to the message of John. But as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, John says, listen, guys, go with him. Don't follow me anymore. Go with him. He loses all of his, his clout, his authority. And here we read in this passage that he even lost his very life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And that's because of the love of Christ that John had known since before birth. I love John the Baptist's story. We read in Luke 141 about the beginning of this. Elizabeth and Mary. Elizabeth was John's mom. It said when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the mother of Jesus, the baby leaped inside her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What a story, right? Like, I'd like to go to church one day and hear Elizabeth and Mary tell their story. And then, perhaps no greater thing has been said about a man than what we read in Jesus' words in Matthew eleven eleven, When Jesus says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. What does that mean? No one greater than John the Baptist, but the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. How might we become the least in the kingdom of heaven? How might we limit ourselves so that the opportunities for Jesus to use us could be limitless? This passage is so unique because in it we, we get to see for the first time some of the pieces of the gospel coming into play. John becomes what we call a foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Christ. Think about this with me. In this passage, we learn that John was arrested. John was arrested because King Herod didn't want to kill him, but, but people were trying to figure him out, and they wanted something to be done. So he arrests him, and he puts him in jail. But he, he won't do anything to him because John is what I like to call curiously righteous. He lives his life in such a way, there are so many things that seem right about John's life that Herod can't quite put his finger on it, and he admires it, but he's too proud to say it. And so he keeps him in jail, but he ends up being executed anyway. And then he's buried by his followers. All right, Sunday school question. Get ready for a Sunday school answer. 
can you think of anyone else who might be described by these things? Anybody got the answer? Jesus. Mike, you guys are good. No other name. No other name but Jesus. Can we color now? That would be a great activity. That would be a great activity. You know, the only difference between the story of John and the story of Jesus is that Christ came back to life. He came back to life. And that resurrection, that, that bringing up from the dead of Jesus Christ is what gave John the limitless hope that caused him to limit his own living. John wouldn't have placed all these limits on his life if he thought Jesus was just another guy. But he knew that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was going to defeat death. And that gave John great hope. So much hope, in fact, that he was willing to limit the things in his life so that others could experience the limitless power of Jesus Christ. Could you do the same? You know, we often forget that the first part of the good news of Jesus, uh, the, the good news of the gospel, is that Jesus died to forgive us. And that's the part of the story that, that Carrie shared with us. It was transformative in her life. And when you truly realize that you're forgiven, you're much more likely to follow him. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25 gives a strong challenge. It says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What does that mean? How do we apply something like that in our lives? You see, just as John's death foreshadowed Christ, our daily death can foreshadow Christ to those we encounter. I read this this week. It says, as we die to ourselves, we no longer try to get our own way or try to get people to look up to us. We stop offering unasked for advice, as if in self-importance we think we always know better than others. We let go of trying to make a good impression on others. We find freedom from the self-focused life that says we mostly spend our lives conjugating three verbs, to want, to have, and to do. Craving, clutching, and fussing, we are kept in perpetual unrest. Quite simply, when we die to self, we're no longer obsessed with self. I remember, uh, it was either my first or second Sunday at Christ Community, uh, a little over five years ago. And we were still meeting uh, over in Southside Elementary. We had to set up and tear down every week. And um, I was just trying to jump in and get to know people. So the gathering ended, and we just, like, start packing stuff down. Like, everybody's getting it done. And it was, like, the second Sunday, and I was starting to get a grasp on, like, who were, who were Christ community people and who weren't. And there was these, these people, there was this family, that all of them were, like, packing stuff away and putting stuff away, and I had never seen them before. And, like, bells and whistles are going off in my head. I'm like, this is amazing. They just showed up for the first time, and they are, like, all in. They're, like, they're packing stuff up. And I'm like, these people are awesome. I don't know who they are. And so um, I, I go up, and I meet them, and he's like, oh, yeah, this is our first time back. He's like, we were actually here before, and now we're back, and this is awesome. Their names were Kevin and Brenda Baker. Some of you all may remember Kevin and Brenda. Uh, they have since moved to uh, well, just north of Atlanta. And I love their story because uh, there is so much that goes on in Kevin and Brenda's life that people don't know about. 
Brenda has these chronic pains. I don't remember the name of the condition, but like she doesn't tell you about it. Like it hurts for her to physically move every day. Um, Kevin and Brenda, they have gone through some uh, tragic deaths in their family. Uh, things that just like out of the blue, wouldn't expect it, and here they are. They've had to make a ton of choices to limit themselves. And this week I got a, a text from Kevin and I knew that um, their daughter had fallen in love serving with one of our mission partners called Stormhaven. Stormhaven is an incredible mission. They, they um, partner kids and horses, um, and, and it's just an amazing thing that when, comes, when it comes together in the gospel, its lives are changed and transformed. And uh, they really grasped onto that. And so Kevin and Brenda have moved to um, Atlanta, just north of Atlanta. Kevin works for Apple, and um, they, they had this awesome house. <laughs> Like, if you know them, like, the house was awesome. Pool in the backyard was, like, amazing. And God started to, to speak into their life and just ask them, would you give it up? Would you give it up, and would you do what you saw at Stormhaven here in Atlanta? And what's amazing is this week I got a text from Kevin, and uh, they've got a ranch, they've got horses, and the newspaper in the community is is promoting them and saying, here's a new opportunity for our kids to, uh, man, to go and experience life change. And what some people know and what some people don't know is when they get there, it's not just about horses, it's not just about something good, it's about the gospel. They're going to find hope that is limitless, faith that is limitless. And I love the Bader's story because it's a perfect example of when we will limit ourselves when we will say no to things for ourselves, God will use us in limitless ways. Things that we never would have seen ourselves doing. Ways that we never thought God could have used us for become realities. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he wants for us. And so the challenge to each of us today is to live a limited life in hopes of leaving a limitless legacy. Live a limited life in hopes of, of leaving a limitless legacy. Here, here's the real question like percolating in our brains, though, right? How do we do that in a way that doesn't kill us? <laughs> How do I die to self without killing myself? If you allow God to, to shape and define your worth... And there's a lot in that phrase, right? Like, like, if you start to realize that your value isn't in what you do, but it's based solely in the fact that you are loved by God, you are now free to empty yourself without the fear of losing yourself because you realize that self is defined by Him. Your value comes not finally from what you bring to the table, but from the one who brought you to the table in the first place. So how do you limit yourself in a way that Christ might do something limitless in you? It's not about giving up everything so that you can do the big thing tomorrow. It's through small moments of dying to yourself. It's not going for the biggest menu on the item, just ordering just enough. It's not upgrading your phone when the old one still works. It's selling the extra stuff in your life and not replacing it with something new. It's not always insisting on telling your side of the story and, and instead just listening and letting that be enough. Because these little limits lead to limitless legacies because all of a sudden those little things aren't in your hands anymore. 
And as you learn to do that in little ways, the Lord begins to trust you with those bigger things. And you realize that you may limit your eating out so that you can give some to missions like the Baders or to the mission of the local church that's going to leave a legacy long after you're gone. You may limit your television time so that you can learn how to share the gospel with your friend. And when your friend follows Christ and his family tree begins to change, you will have gladly traded that TV time for the legacy of an entire family tree that is now lit up by the light of Christ. I guarantee you that 30-minute show will be worth it. You may limit your words so that you can listen well to those around you. And and by listening, you learn how to pray for them. And do you realize the power of, of doing things like engaging with that prayer board and praying for someone else? All of a sudden, you're learning how to place people in the hands of Jesus Christ who loves them more than you ever could. There is no limit to how you and I might limit ourselves. John held nothing back from Jesus. Even his very life became a testimony that pointed to him. But while you worry about how to live a limitless life, Jesus is waiting for you to limit yourself so that he can work in you without limits. Here's the cool thing. The value of of limiting yourself isn't reaped by you. It's reaped by the community of believers that you're connected to. I I get the opportunity, and I mean it's an opportunity, like it is super fun. I coach T-ball with uh, Richard Spinmore and Jeff Salmon coached yesterday. It's, it's, and Seth. There's about, like, we all coach. But I like to coach. It was fun. And um, how many of y'all know Tate? Some of y'all know Tate, right? Tate's the man. Tate could, he could take my job if he wanted to because he probably knows every, everybody's name in this church. How old's Tate? Four? He's four. All right. Tate's the man. Tate broke his arm earlier this year, and he was just getting back to normal. And he was on our T-ball team. And uh, <clears throat> Tate, tragically, rebroke his arm this week. I know. It's, it's like it's so sad. The kid's four. He just wants to play ball. Like, come on. Let me, like, what's going on? But I was so proud of Tate this week. So, like, every time we get together with a T-ball team, we're like, man, what, what are the three things? What are our three rules? Our three rules are have fun, listen well, and be a good teammate. And Tate knows him, right? Like, that's just who Tate is. Like, I'm like, hey, kids, what are the rules? And Tate's like rattling them off. I'm like, okay, everybody else, what are the rules, right? So yesterday, we come. This is like, Tate's got his arm broke. And I was so proud of him because here we are, like, Tate's four. (laughs) He's four. All of his friends are out there playing ball. Tate's sitting on the bench. Tate's taking pictures with his team. He's cheering them on. I'm like, man, that is it. That is it. When we're limited, whether it's by a choice, like we're limiting ourselves, or because maybe God has limited us for a reason, the limitless things that he does, like they're reaped by the community. Like his teammates were encouraged by him. And I love that picture. Because you see, God works when a community of people limit themselves together. I want us to think about something that we, we might overlook in this passage. At the very end in verse 29, right? What's it say? And when John's disciples heard about it, they came and removed his corpse and placed it in the tomb. Think about the risk that they were taking. This guy just got beheaded for his faith. 
And they limited themselves to just come and be a part of this. I'll tell you what. When a community of people begin to say, what can I give up to be a part of this? What can I limit myself so that, so that God could do something more? It's incredible to see what happens. Great risks are taken. New initiatives emerge. So much excitement and hope is found because Christ begins to lead the way. It's not about any one person. It's about what he's doing in each person who has said, I will lay down my life for the cause. It's a picture that we've seen in the people that started Christ Community Church. It's a picture that I've loved seeing happen at Awake Ministries where several ministries have said, we'll lay down, like we'll limit ourselves so that we can be a part of something bigger. It's a picture that I'm love, uh, like I love seeing right now. There's, there's four couples right now who live in Henry County. And what they're saying is, I'm going to lay down my preferences. I'm going to lay down my desires. I'm going to lay down the things that I feel like I need. And I'm going to pursue what, what God wants in a church in Henry County. And as everyone continues to limit themselves, right, God begins to do things that we never could have asked or imagined. There's reasons that we have metal folding chairs at Christ Community. There's reasons that we keep things simple. There's reasons that we want to focus on people, not on programs. There's reasons that all of us are always trying to replace ourselves as leaders. There's reasons that when we come together as a staff, we're talking about gospel conversations that we've had. And that's, that reason is because we want more than anything to join Jesus in reaching people one person at a time. And as he reaches those people, and as we limit ourselves, we start churches full of changed people who are out to serve their community in such a way that people begin to look and say, why would you do this? And when the question why comes up, we are able with great joy and with great hope to say, listen, this is nothing about me. It's nothing about our church. It's everything to do with a guy named Jesus who was hung on a cross to forgive you. And we watch as Jesus changes another life. Limit yourself today so that tomorrow and the next day, Jesus can unite us together. And when that happens, the possibilities are limitless. Let's pray. Jesus, we didn't even, we didn't even scrape the top of how you limited yourself out of love for us. Sitting at the right hand of God, you chose to come to earth as a man to somehow, in a way that we don't even understand, limit yourself as God so that you could become the perfect sacrifice for each of us. To pay for our sins, to forgive us of all of our debts in the past, in the present, and in the future so that we could live eternally with you. And so Jesus, as we respond to you today, as we think about how we might limit ourselves for the sake of the gospel, we pray that you would send your spirit to this place, to our hearts and minds, that you would trade lies in our hearts and our minds out for the truth of the gospel. That for those in this place who have struggled to trust you, 
that you would help them trust for the first time. Father, we pray for those in our community who don't know, who haven't been invited like Carrie wasn't. For those who think that the law of karma is real and in effect and that if they just do enough good things, eventually everything will work out. Father, for those, we, we pray and we yearn that you would call them to yourself. That you would teach them about their, your grace and your forgiveness and your mercy. Jesus, thank you for the opportunity to be a part of the church, your church. Be our pastor in this moment, God, and unite us together. Call us to limit ourselves in community. We pray in Jesus' name.